Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, and today we have the honor of speaking with Terry Ogburn. How are you doing today, Terry? I'm doing great, uh, Ben, and thank you for having me on your show. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's really an honor to, to get to chat with you today, and I'm very curious to know, what is your story? Oh, I have a, I have a lot of them. Which one do you want to hear? <laughs> I want to My hear beginning? <laughs> the big story, your life story from the very beginning. Okay, well, um, your, your audience may be interested in knowing that I uh, wrote my first business plan when I was about 12 years old. Um, I wanted a bicycle, and my dad um, said, how was I going to pay for it? And my idea was a paper route. And so I had to create, figure out how many nickels that I was going to get from, uh, from each customer because I got a quarter for each route, you know, each customer. So I had to figure out how many nickels it took to get my bicycle and how to pay it off and all this thing. Um, so it was my first uh, thing into business. And then, you know, of course, we had a lawnmower and business and so forth. Uh, went on into sales. And um, that was my first trip was into uh, selling cars, um, which I loved. I love selling uh, car, uh, you know, selling the, the mode of selling. Then um, I got fired out of the car business, Ben. Uh, for I wanted to be a manager and I had this baby face and nobody, uh, it, you know, it held me back for years because, you know, people didn't think I was old enough to be able to handle such responsibility and stuff like that. So my boss found out that I wouldn't applied for a manager's position. And so he, to teach me a lesson, he fired me. To, so I had no car, had nothing, no transportation, nothing. And that's when I decided to start my air conditioning business. So I was a broken furnace duck in a condo that I, apartment that I lived in that was turning condos. So I figured 15 bucks, that'd keep me, get me enough money, 264 apartments. So that'd give me enough money to get a grub state to get started and get going, which it did. And then I started running into people. And then the next thing you know, in, I guess it was about four or five years, I was uh, considered to be a young businessman of the year, got some awards for, you know, the developing systems and things within the air conditioning world that changed it, re revolutionized the uh, change things like your guarantee. It was one of the things I brought to the table. Um, also, uh, SEER ratings, you know, when you hear SEER, S-E-E-R ratings. Well, I was actually working with a company called EER, Engineering, Engineering, in Energy and Research, in which we could duplicate weather conditions. I create the calorimeter rooms that we could put your units in there and you could test them at 85 degree ambient temperature, 67% humidity or whatever. And it was a bunch of bailing wire, so to speak, and duct tape and things thrown together because we didn't know what we were, you know, we, we knew what we were doing. We just didn't know how to do it yet. So we created these rooms and you could actually bring your air conditioner in there and, and find out what its um, sear ratings were. Back then it was EER, um, but then the company came in, bought us out, took us all out of the picture, did a big thing, turned it into SER. So uh, I sold my company after 10 years, after growing it to uh, 12 trucks, 26 people, uh, doing well over a million a year in, in the industry. So that was a, a good thing, but I set it up to sell to my employees, which is a, the ultimate thing to do is sell you just get more money for it, obviously. Um, then from there, I went into the corporate world, taking my system, the processes and things that I had created, took it into companies like Unigroup you know, Travel, 
uh, went to a startup company called X International, was on the ground floor of taking a company public. So I went from kitchen table, literally two bedroom, two bath condo, kitchen table with five people. We took it public in two and a half years. We invested five million, sold it for 13 million. Pretty good take on our, um, on our investment. Um, then I uh, was uh, snapped up by Radio Shack, did some turnaround stores for them. Uh, back when they were uh, solo in, in this world, so to speak. And then um, went to Metricall Paging, AT&T Wireless, some of the big companies took my systems, my processes, the things that I've developed. And, and they'll work in anything. They'll work in your business or work in anybody's business. It doesn't matter. I've tried it in um, anything from um, MLM to, uh, to corporate America. So the systems work. Um, so after that, uh, did some turnaround stores for Century 21 uh, real estate, and then just 2005 decided to start uh, Ogburn's Business Solutions, and here we are. Uh, next month, I'll be 15 years old. Wow, that's amazing. So, in the bottom line, is I've taken one company 10 years. I took a company public, and this is the second company I've taken past 10 years. That's awesome. Yeah. So why did you decide to start your latest business after being in, in the corporate world for so long? The, um, the downturn in the real estate business, I don't know if you remember, it was a real peak, you know, there's a real jump in the, in 2002, three and four. It was, I mean, everybody, everybody and their brother was a real estate person. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew it. Um, well, when the downturn happened, there was a, probably some of your listeners may remember, but they started tightening up the bankruptcy laws right at the end of this constru- uh, this real estate boom. I don't know if you remember that or not. And my question was, why are they tightening up the, the bankruptcy laws if, every, if the economy is doing so well? Well, the anticipation was they were going to drop the interest rates. And when they dropped the interest, uh, raised the interest rates, the market was going, well, that's what happened. They raised the interest rates, the market tanked. I jumped into the business saying that uh, small businesses will be the people who turn this country around. And so I said, okay, so that was going to be my target niche was go after small to mid-sized businesses. And that's what I've done is help guys like you and others be able to turn their business around and, and make it you know, very profitable, enjoy every minute of their, of their time in business. Most people don't enjoy business. They don't enjoy this 12, 14, 16 hours a day seven days a week. And that's not the way that that is not the way you have fun in business. Yeah, isn't that a shame? I mean, think of how much time we spend working and, and investing in our careers and building our businesses. I mean, we should at least enjoy it. Uh, we should at least be having a good time. Right? There was a guy one of my mentors early on said, if you can't make it in six, you won't make it in seven. So, you know, we're probably not going to, you know, work. I was there, you know, I was a technician. I was the exact same thing that most of the people that go into businesses, 80% of businesses fail when that start. So, and I'm just, you know, you're a technician, you think you're good at air conditioning work, which that's what I thought I was good at. And so you dive in thinking I can run the company better than the, the bosses, but we don't think about payroll. We don't think about trucks breaking down. We don't think about insurance. We don't think about all the other gimme do things that go into business. And then we get, then we, you don't have experts. We're not, you know, we're not good at this other stuff. We're good at being the technician. 
So when I learn to get above that and rise above and start working on my business, then and work creating systems that allowed me not to be there, I got to have fun. So let's talk about these systems because okay. it seems like one of the recurring themes or one of the one of the golden threads here is you took your system from your business and brought it into every other venture that you were part of, whether you were part of the team or whether you started the team. So what were the systems? Um, first of all, things like um, creating a business development plan. Um, I have a, an eight step business development plan that you can apply into any, any type of business. It doesn't matter. It's based on eight steps. First, you have to have a primary aim or you have to have an overall goal. Well, I, I teach working backwards. So you establish your goal and then put checkpoints in the way along the way that you can re, you know, retool yourself or get better. So what, step what two kind is of, to, what kind of, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, okay. but, but what kind of goal, like, how do you how do you quantify the goal? Is it like a, a monetary goal, more of an ethereal, like change the world goal? Like, what does it actually look like? Very precise. Like uh, one of the goals would say, or the primary aims would read something like, "Be responsible uh, by uh, by December thirty first. I do it in ninety day increments. By December thirty first, two thousand nineteen. Uh, blank will generate X number of dollars in revenue and da, da, da. So it's very specific. And then it goes on to say that you will do this by selling the, the things that you plan to sell. And then you will do it by implementing coaching and, and uh, training systems. And it has a little, it's a little paragraph that you're uh, the ideas that you're supposed to read every day. This kind of gets you in the state of mind of what you're, why you're even doing this. Then you have a set of principles of strategy, which is comes from the book, The Art of War. And it was 10 principles that Sun Tzu put in play before he would ever uh, attack someone or go out into battle. And so then we create strategies underneath that. And then we create priorities that cause that strategy to come true. Um, so then you that's your second step is putting all your strategies together. All right, we gotta we gotta break that one down. There was a okay. lot of meat there. So, okay, okay. what are these, what are these ten principles uh, from from the art of war? Okay, the first one is set a goal and stick to it. We have to have a goal. Um, the second one is maintain good morale. His troops were would you know often fight in, in the winter, so they had to make sure the troops were were in morale. Act aggressively. That you had you did not obnoxiously, but you had to be assertive. You had to go out there and do something. You had to aim for surprise. Sometimes he would sneak a punch on dark and, and while you were sleeping and take you. You know that was okay. You had to bring your forces together from time to time and you know create a little powwow. You know staff meetings and you know things like that. Um, then you have uh, using your forces economically. You have to make sure you're using your resources the best at their best. You know there's making sure your forces are secure. That means there you have commitments from them you, you they know what they're supposed to be doing they're, they're your lieutenants or they're your colonels or whatever they're your your soldiers um you also want to have coordination you got to get them to think to, and move in the same direction and move and i in my world that's training so you get everybody trained up and then you have to be adaptable you have to um you have to understand the terrain you have to adapt to the uh, things so in my world we adapt through communication so, and then the last one was simplicity. If it's difficult, I did not create it. And most people, when they work with me, what happens is they, they, over, they start to overthink. So I said, no, 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 wait. If it's difficult, I didn't make it. It's simple. People confuse simplicity with easy. You know, just because you, know, you know, think something's easy, it's not simple. 
But however, if you make something simple, it'll be easy. We start to use our subconscious you know, mind to work on that. We have to have an organizational strategy which, strategy, which is number three. My organizational strategy is having your organizational chart actually upside down. This means that the customer is the boss. In my organizational chart, the customer communicates to the top line people who are your customer service, your salespeople, the people who interact with the customer. Well, you empower those people to solve as many problems as they can without involving middle management, because the more you involve middle management, the more money it's costing you, because now you got two people involved in the problem. You've got the, the inline worker, and then you got the manager team on board. And then you have this uh, third part of the organization chart is where the C-level people hang out. They're at the bottom because they're busy working on the vision of the company. Middle management is working on the business, creating systems and processes that make sure that no more communication comes to me than necessary. And you empower your team. And it's a big movement in, in the business world today is empowering letting your people make mistakes it is okay because you, that's how we grow we we learn how to put things in place or systems in place that you know stop that from happening then you have to have a people plan and the people plan is basically doing it um you know to to where it's a culture of life that doing it well is is the way you want to come to work your organ go ahead so i love what you were just saying about flipping that organizational chart upside down because I believe it. So I, I read the, the art of war and I need to go back and read it again because I believe one of the principles was if you want to, if you want to really lead somebody and, and maybe it wasn't in, in this book, but somewhere I read, if you, if you want to really lead somebody go underneath them to where they don't feel your weight. Exactly. So this is this is such an interesting depiction of that because it seems like your customers are at the top, so they don't feel the weight of the entire organization on them. They're at the top. And then the next level are the customer-facing people, like you were saying, the salespeople, the customer service reps, anybody who's, who's customer-facing, customer-touching. And by empowering them to solve as many problems as they possibly can, that is so brilliant because it just it's like a filter. It solves exactly. it solves so many of the problems. And then having the middle managers working on the systems and processes to improve things, which makes it life easier for that for the customer service people. That takes that takes so much out of like that 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 arms them and empowers them, gives them so much more ability to handle things at the customer facing level and Working on the systems and processes makes the whole thing go so much more smoothly. So then at the, you know, at the, at the, the owner level, the ownership level or the executive team level, they can focus on the biggest problems. They can focus on the most important things and they're able to support everybody else by the structure that they put in. That's brilliant. That's exactly. Brilliant. And, and you organize around functions and accountabilities, not people. So you organize your company so everybody has a job description, so everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And so, again, it just adds more um, validity to your business. It also makes you want people want to do business with you. Just give you a, a little quick story about uh, along these lines. When I was in the air conditioning world, um, the technicians um, 
the customer was always complaining because they never knew what time we were going to be there. And so I would go to Ben, I would go to the technician. I said, guys, come on, why can't we have a better handle on this? And they said, Terry, uh, we don't know how long we're going to be there. We could be there a half hour. We could be there an hour. So I worked out a system, Ben. That system was that we got two-way radios for our trucks. So they, because back then we all had beepers, right? So we had two-way radios. Mary Beth, my assistant, she was in charge of dispatching. So the technician could not work on the unit unless she got permission. They had one hour. They could diagnose and fix it an hour. It was great. If it took them any longer than an hour, they had to get permission. So they would ask the customer, they would say, okay, we got a bad fan motor here and it's going to take me two and a half hours to do the work. Um, uh, when would you like it done? Now that was the, the key to that question was people think now, but that wasn't the answer. Guess what the answer was when we would, I just added that one little question in at the end of the statement, when would you like it done? You know what the number one answer to that question was? What? Can you come back when? Tomorrow? Can you come back when my husband is home? Can you come back when my kids are home? Can you come back when I'm through work? We interrupted their day. So they're not caring about being cold. They're caring about working or whatever they're missing. So we took the, we took the, the power out of the technician's hands. We gave it to the customer, let her, them be the boss. They tell us when it wants done. Then we go, to, uh, yes, uh, uh, Mary Beth, we have a bad fan motor out here and she would like it done anytime after two this afternoon. Could you get that scheduled in please? So they would, she would schedule in with somebody else would do it. Now they had to collect half of the, the job. They had to get the deposit, half the job. Okay. But by collecting that half, they got 2% of what that customer did with them for the future. Go as far out into the future as you want. It's as long as that customer did business with me, I don't care if we worked on their stove, I don't care what we worked on, that, my, that first technician that sold the job got 2% of that, like a little uh, you know, commission that they got earned for selling that job. That was whole brilliant. different in the industry. It was nothing like that before. Another That's thing brilliant. was- yeah. Look for, you know, just to your listeners, find ways that you can, uh, like uh, I work with uh, some boat salespeople right now. So in the boating industry. And so uh, they've noticed that their um, market, their, uh, their inbound market, meaning their walk-in traffic, their email on their phones, the market is going down. Now I've been with them for about nine years. So, I mean, we're adjusting to markets all the time. So everybody's all, leads are drying up. You can imagine they're all getting nervous, you know? So I come along with this idea that we should do, go out and find business. Well, what's wrong with, why are some of your clients now saying, well, my leads are dropping. Okay. Well, the reason is if the economy's doing good and the industry's doing good, then more people are going to open up. Right then it would stand to reason that more people are going to open up. So therefore your market shrinks if more businesses open up. If there's only a trillion dollars worth of business and there's, you know, you get the math. So it changes around. So that's when we need to employ new ideas. So I came up with this idea and boy, did I get pushback for this. Think about this. So I had two of my guys. Um, they're young guys. They're, they're in their uh, under 30. They're young guys. So they're still spirited. You know, they still have some, some spirit in them. So I got them to pick 50 houses along the water. 
the, the back to the front yard is the water side. So they had to pick. And so they developed this newsletter and they walk around once a month and they pass out this newsletter to those homes along the water and they get their email addresses and they, um, they are able to start a conversation. And when the ma manager pushed back on me, he said, Terry, these people are not going to do this. They're just not going to do it. And both guys worked at the same store. So after they did it and put it all together, they came um, back in and I'm talking to one of them and, uh, Joshua comes in the office and he goes, Terry, you got these guys doing things that they could never do. This is great. This is kind of set. So the point is that sometimes we have to go and find new ways to get markets to come to us. So by just simply targeting those, uh, and we got pushed back from another store. This is that scarcity mentality. Um, so one of the, they said, no, they could be handing out a newsletter that is already one of our customers. And I, and so the, one of the ivory tower people called me and I said, come on, wait a minute, back up. That's saying that every customer is theirs until they prove they're not. So, so you we, we can't go with that mentality. We right. have a protocol in place that they have to type your name into the computer before they even pursue it because guess what? Customers lie. So they think they can get a better deal from Ben. They'll go talk to Ben. Right. If they realize that they got a better deal with me, they'll dump you like a hot potato and they'll come to me or vice versa. So it's just the way customers think. So you, you put yourself in how customers behave today. That's far more important. Today's um, world is understanding consumer knowledge, not product knowledge. Product knowledge is now can be, anything can be found on the internet. Everybody starts or just about everybody starts their buying process on the internet. So think like your customer. I often say, put your real person hat on. What will they do? Well, they're going to go online. They're going to double check you. So if, take all your information, put it on an iPad, walk around in the showroom with your stuff on the iPad and use the third party validation to validate what you're saying. I love the way you think. Well, the, thank you. The, the way you, you approach it. I think it's so helpful to talk about these things. So, okay. So we have our, we have our, um, I want to keep going on the sure. on the narrative of the system. Okay. So um, we have our organizational strategy in place now. We organize organize around functions, not people, mm -hmm. right? So we make sure they know what they're doing. Then we have a people plan, which is we make sure that everything we do is, uh, you know, things like make sure all people understand the idea behind their the work they're supposed to be doing. Create an environment where coming to work would be a pleasant thing. Um, then we have a we have to have a. Um, uh, a management plan, how we're going to handle uh, the leadership of the program. Then you have to have assistance plan, which is how you get uh, things to talk to each other through reports, KPIs, things like that. Then you have to have a marketing plan. So you, how you're going to market your business and then you have to have a service strategy. And those are my eight. Um, that's my eight, you know, step business development plan. You use that to develop with. That is your key. That's your five pages. It's only five pages, but it's how you, you can refer to that and it solves all your problems. Like if a, a employee steps out of line, it, you're in the management plan, it says uh, our systems become the solutions to the unpredictability of people. So if you have somebody step out of line, you just got to create a system that causes that not to happen again. So it's very much building a sustainable framework for, to handle the the volatility of, of human behavior and exactly and not only can you build it 
uh, horizontally, but you can build it vertically as well. So if you, meaning if you need more market, you can expand it out horizontally. And if you need to go deeper, meaning you need more people, more things to make this thing happen, your, 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 your business can go deeper as well. Like going deeper was like with me, I started with air conditioning, servicing air conditioning, but I went on to create multiple incomes like um, microwave repair, um, washer and dryers, refrigerators, and you keep expanding income streams so you don't are not fixated if, if you lose that one big client or that one big customer that you're not out of business. So as you're taking this system from industry to industry, are you constantly updating it and upgrading it and making it better? And how are you identifying the places where it needs to be improved? Good question. Uh, you, it, it's constant and never-ending improvement. We, 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 you know, what if I'd have said in 2009 that, oh, this Facebook thing would be out of whack. You know, it's not even going to be here you and I wouldn't even be sitting here, right? I mean, right? So because through Facebook is how we ended up with podcasting and things like that. So if I had not adapted to that world or not even wanted to be in that world, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. Right. So same thing goes for, um, you know, other parts, you know, when you're looking at um, uh, one of the new things that that we are doing now is, um, a construction company up in Chicago. We actually got a person out there knocking on doors, calling knock, as an area rep for the company, knocking on um, industrial parks. That you see these signs say "build to suit." Well, he's a construction company. They're looking for a tenant. Well, all I did was take uh, two highways and, and merge them together and make it work. Right. So they need somebody to build it. They need somebody to, to rent it. So put the two together. That's awesome. So um, it's it's there's a great book out there called The Medici Effect. And the Medici um, effect is about how the Medici family was the first bankers in, in Italy. Well, his sister talked him into opening a branch in Milan because that's where Marco Polo went through and he had stopped. And so they figured that'd be a good place to open a bank and, you know, where all this money and stuff was being trans, you know, you know, changed. So voila. So now that's branch banking. That was in the 1500s. But I mean, that's, uh, do you know, by the way, do you know who created the first banking system just by just, just for fun, fun fact? Was it the Rothschild family? No, it was the Knights Templar. Ah. Way back in, in the day, the Knights Templars would hold the, the treasure, they would guard it, and they would give, if you needed to travel, they'd give you a piece of paper. So when you got to the next city, you could turn that piece of paper in and get the money you needed for, for that. Wow. That was in the, I think, 300. 300, three, like 350, something like that. But anyway, so yeah, you look for, um, you go out there and you look and you see how you can retrofit things into this world. Um, video, um, you know, we uh, social media is 2.0. Well, video now is 3.0. Well, if a picture tells a thousand words, what will a video? You're live streaming this right now. We're, right? we're live on, we're, mm -hmm. we're running this live. So the people are getting, stuff in real time today. Now, we would have had to spend thousands, 
lots of tens of thousands of dollars to be sitting on TV to do this if we if we had to go that route. So find ways to reach your audience without having to spend tons and tons of money. My dad would tell you, he just passed away earlier this year, 99 years old, but he would tell you that I can step on a dime and tell you if it's heads up or not. People, they don't understand how important the the our decision making is supposed to be made on the, the money and the, and the you know the the coffers the stuff coming in your KPIs. Um, I asked uh, somebody about your age um, a few um, months ago. I said, "Do you know what net worth is?" And they said uh, something about uh, the money I have in savings. And I said, "No, the money you have after you pay off your credit cards." And he says, "Oh, then I don't have any." <laughs> right, so. <laughs> Um, but we forget that the true report card in life is not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Right. So, so we have to figure out ways to, to keep it, uh, but we also have to figure out, make sure that we're selling our product and services for enough money. I was working with a, a company, a photographer uh, company, and they were actually selling their, uh, their headshots, you know, their, their meetup for the headshots type thing. They were selling it too cheap. They were losing money on it. And so we we upped, we figured out how much the cost was because there should be a, a ratio. I'll give you to, to your, your listeners if you'd like. I mean, they'd be glad to share that with you. You start out with 100% revenue. Then you have something called cost of sales. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the one-time cost, the variable cost that we need to factor in. Like in air conditioning, my cost of sales was 30%. So it, once I had a, a figured out what my uh, labor was and getting it all thing. Once I figured that out, then I knew what, how to get to my retail price. 70% of that money is left for your gross profit or your expenses. Okay. Now, after you say, take your expenses out, your fixed expenses away, that's rent, car payments and things like that. When you take that out, then that's going to leave you your net profit. And people think right there, they made money. No, sir. That's, they didn't make any money. They haven't made any money yet. You know why? Why? because they haven't figured in their income tax that they have to pay on that money. So now they have to pay income tax on that money. And so now you, you're trying to get to net what's called net-net. Few uh, business owners understand net-net. Net-net is after taxes. Now you're supposed to keep 10% after taxes. So if you know you're supposed to keep 10%, so if your revenue is this high, so you need to keep it. So you've got to balance that in the middle to make sure that you're hitting that you know, each, each quarter. Another thing that I've done is that I took a year and, and took away the, the yearly goals and take a, and make it a quarterly goal. So we establish a five-year dream where we'd like to see our business. Then we see, okay, what do we have to do one year from now to get there? And then what do we got to do this quarter to get us one step close? So what happens is you get used to working by quarters, not by years. 30 to 40% of the sales are made at the last quarter of the year. Well, that means that we're pushing. That means we're, sh we're shoving things down customers' throats. We're pushing our salespeople to the nth degree. When if we just spread it out nice and evenly, we just bounce one quarter after the next quarter after the next quarter. It creates a rolling year rather than a physical year. Hmm. Little things like that or th little changes like that. Um, setting your ego aside. Well, just because I set the, started the company doesn't mean I have to be the one who runs it. I bet that's a big one with a lot it, of people. It is because they're so afraid that it's their baby. 
you know, a lot of your listeners are going to have children. And they can relate to the fact that when the first child is born, and your mom wants to take that child from you, it's kind of a little wobble and you get all nervous, but she's raised five. (laughs) So, but you're the one that's all scared at handing it off. But then by the second one, you're throwing, right? But but the, um, the business owner thinks that's his baby. So he's afraid to let go of it. So he ends up micromanaging. And so what happens that is stifles the growth of a company. When you have to have your hands in every pie, then you're stifling your company's growth because your, your people are going to churn. They're going to quit. They're going to get tired of being micromanaged. So they're going to go and find another job. You empower them. You, uh, you allow them to grow. They come up with ideas sometimes that are better than yours. You know, so my rule is never, if you were, if you were working for me and you came to me with a problem, my first thing to you is be, okay, uh, Ben, come back to me when you have two solutions, you know, and just, you know, nicely in a nice way, but you say, you know, and you get used to coming to me. Well, here, Terry, we have a problem here. And here's the two things that I would do. Great. Let's go with the second one, Ben, keep going. Okay. Other than that, they, before you speak, they may have a better idea than, than you did. So why even interject your idea in it? Right. You and just, I, bet, I bet that can even take a step further over time to say, okay, bring me the two solutions and tell me which one you think would be the best solution and why. Exactly. And then if it turns out that both of their requests, you know, one of their solutions are terrible, you get to point out how, why, and why you're, you know, why you would do it better rather than telling them to do it your way the first time, you let them see what's wrong and then you can correct them. I used to bring my, um, my, um, my technicians in, in the air conditioning days, I brought them in. Now this was later on, but after we got going with these systems and things, uh, I used to bring them in at seven. We have a training class from seven to seven forty-five every morning, not on teaching them how to work on air conditioners or appliances or whatever, but teaching them how to handle customers. Like one of the issues was uh, we were big in cleaning up. Everybody's clean. You know, it has to be clean. Okay. But there are some people out there that do, uh, do something called clean as you go. Do you have a, you know, somebody in your family that is a clean as you go person? My mom uh, was a clean and a go. You, meaning I'm not exactly work, sure what you mean by that. She'd be working in the kitchen and she'd mess up a pot. She'd have to clean it right then. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Clean as you go, you know, type thing. Well, there's a lot of, um, you know, people out there with that mentality. So they the lady called up and said, well, you're, uh, we have a, I had a policy where you called after every, and this is something that I doubt your listeners would want to do. I would recommend them doing. Call your customers and, at the end of the day and ask them, um, how, how did your technician perform? Or how, well, you can imagine Mary Beth did not want to make that call because she was afraid that, you know, what they were going to say. So this call, the lady says, yeah, but your, your, your guy didn't clean, clean good or something like that. So I talked to, to Scott about it. And I said, he says, oh, Terry, I cleaned up. You know, we clean up. That's our policy. We clean up. And I said, well, maybe we should learn to clean as we go. So when you clean up, when you mess up something, just clean it up real quick, just to show the customer that you are, are a clean as you go person, adapt to the, to the surroundings that you're in. So um, also uh, something came to mind here. I want to give your listeners four things that they can do right now. If they add, put these four things into their world right now, it doesn't matter. Okay, you ready? Okay, the first one is commitment. Whatever you do, commit. All in, burn the boats, you're in all the way. Go in the deep end of the pool, just jump in. And 
the second one is um, put disciplines in place to make sure that your commitment comes true. So if you have to get up early in the morning, an extra half hour, then that's what you have to do. If you have to stay up half hour late to get something done, then you have to get it done. You know, our rule in the air conditioning business was, was if we had a half an hour to finish and it's four o'clock, then finish. It's harder to get started the next day than it is. So just complete it. Um, then the decisions. I give every one of your listeners right now permission to procrastinate on anything that is not taking them towards their commitment. We're going to procrastinate. Just make sure you know what you're going to procrastinate on. <laughs> and then the fourth one is make visualization. We are people who think in pictures. So if we get a clear picture of what we want, our subconscious doesn't know anything else but to get us that. So you put Love those, it. I don't care if you want to change your time management habits. I don't care if you want to change getting to, to work on whatever it is you want to change. You put those four elements in it and you'll win each and every time. I love it. I love it. So at this point, it seems like you've done a lot of work in your lifetime on building these systems and upgrading them and, and making them better and learning these, these different principles. But how have you been working on yourself this whole time? Like has personal development played a, played a role in, in your journey? Exactly. Um, everybody don't wreck your cars, but if everybody drew a, a circle on their, you know, a, just a simple circle and there's six dimensions that we have to work on spiritual, me mental, physical, financial, emotional, and social. So what I do is I get my, uh, somebody working with me, I get them to draw that circle and then they put that on the outside, like the clock, you know, 12, two, four, five, and then you draw spokes and then you tell me where you are in each one of those levels. So 10 would be it to the outside, zeros at the, in the center. Now, if you draw that, somebody will be a two here and a three here and so forth. So you draw all that and it's gonna look like some kind of weird circle. Your goal is to get those numbers even. Now they could be even at two or they could be even at four, but the idea is to get them all even. So you have to work on all of those dimensions. So spiritual doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a godly person. Um, I belong to one of the, the largest godly organizations in the world. I'm a Shriner. So, um, so and you, I'm sure you and your audience have heard of it, what we do. So that's what, that's my giving back. Um, so, spiritual is about your inner spirit it's about you who you are your 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 whole being you know just the way you think your whole your whole mental spirit and then you you constantly work on your mental uh by learning you know keeping up to date with with all the new things and uh, you know i would be learning till so as long as i live i'm going to be learning something it, it just it's instilled in me then you uh, have to work on your finance remember it's not as how much you make it's how much you keep then you have to have uh, your physical side is about exercise. You have to do something, but it's not just exercise. It's how you put, um, you can see me and you're uh, I'm sure that people can see me. We're live streaming this. I'm 68 years old, Ben. Uh, and you, you've got a good close up of me. So you can see uh, that's not, it's not a bad look for 68 years old, right? Well, right. it's all because of the things that I, that I've put into my body as well. So, you know, I'm a, a big proponent of, of keeping healthy. I'm six foot, I weigh 188 pounds, which 85 is where I should be. Okay, I'm three over, but you get it. Okay, so then you have to have a social 
Um, you have to be out there and get out and connect, network, and be out there and be able to talk to people. And when you're networking, you're being interested, not interesting. So you learn how to, to socialize better. And then there's something now uh, that we have to really work on. It's called our emotional intelligence. I don't know if you've heard about this yet, but it's being taught in kindergarten now to control these kids' emotions starting in, at, the, at the nursery and kindergarten level. Well, we too have to, in business, we have to engage in emotional intelligence. Um, we, 10% is, um, is what happens to us and 90% is how we react. You were talking about leadership. Leadership is about being in the middle. It's not about being in the front or the back, because if you're in the back, you, you're, you're worrying about what's behind you. If you're in the front, you're worried about what's in front. In the middle, you can keep your eyes on, on, on all ends of it. Well, this helps you emotionally because you're not going to get tangled up in all the, the drama. So when you put all this and start working on these different areas of your life, that causes you to move towards the out of your circle. You'll never get to 10 on everything, but the idea is to get all those numbers into eight, nine, get into a nice circle that you can, you know, that you can enjoy your life with. So at this point, what questions do you still have about yourself? How far I can, how far I can take myself? How, what is my limitations? You know, you know, it's the old saying, you must know your limitations. But when you are a person who, you know, figures that you don't have any limitations, so you want to know just how far you can push the envelope. You know, I'm not a thrill seeker. Um, got a funny story about that. I was down in Miami with, um, uh, with that company I talked about going public with. And so um, the chairman is who I reported to, and his son uh, was 28 years old, 29 years, and his son wanted, his, uh, the father wanted me to take him under my wing, give him some little, because he was like the prodigal son. He would always run off, come back, you know. So I was supposed to give him some stability. So we're sitting there once uh, we had a condo, he and I lived together. And so um, the condo, and he, he says, uh, you know, hey, I want to go skydiving. I said, oh, that sounds like fun. He says, come on, get, let's go. And I said, well, I'm not going to jump. But I said, well, I'll go with you. You know, so he, we go down, we drive down to Homestead, Florida, gets in this plane and I'm watching over it, everything going on, you know, next thing you know, he gets up in this plane, he jumps out at 10,000 feet, floats down. He's had the best time in his life. So we get back to the office. And uh, so um, his, he goes in to tell his dad, his mom is standing there and dad's sitting at the desk and he's there and I'm standing at the doorway behind him, you know, and uh, Aaron says to, to his dad, says, I just went, I just jumped out of an airplane. And John just looked around him, looked straight at me, goes, what were you thinking? I said, I didn't jump. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, no, I let my son jump. I said, Don, I went down there. I made sure it was safety. I made sure it was good. I made sure he was tag teamed. I made sure it was all right. But I just personally wasn't going to jump out of the plane. <laughs> but he was all secure. <laughs> Now, it would have been a lot worse if he'd have come back and told him that he jumped out of an airplane and I, I let him, right, and didn't go down there and check out the gear and all that stuff. So I went down there to supervise it, you know, type thing. So anyway, just funny stuff. So, You know, I, I think about, like, pushing limits and seeing how far, like, like how far your, your ambition really can take you or, like, like, what your potential really is. And that's so fascinating to me because I think as humans, I think we almost have an unlimited amount of potential. And I'm really not sure what that limit is. Like, for example, somebody like Augustus Caesar, right? The very first emperor of Rome. 
by the time he he died, he had accumulated a personal wealth of 2.6 adjust for today's inflation, 2.6 trillion with a T dollars. That's nuts. That's insanely cool. That's awesome. Now I don't know, you know, in the in the the circle, I don't know where what his other numbers were, but his financial was definitely a 10 out of 10 there, right? So like I don't know. I just think about like what is the limit of human potential? So we, 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 I don't think there's anybody that will ever find because Roger Bannister comes to mind. You know who he is? I'm curious to find out. Roger Bannister was the person that said that he was going to break the four minute, break into the four minute mile. I mean, he was going to break mm -hmm. the four minute, three something. And everybody told him his heart would explode, his legs would fall off, but he never gave up. He broke the he broke into the form and now 63 other people have done it because one person did it. So every time we set a new bit, you know, we set a benchmark, we do it, we accomplish it. Somebody else is going to want to do it better, which is good because that keeps us ratcheting up so that we keep continuing to get better. It's been said that we only use about 4% of the, the Earth's re natural resources. Everything that we're doing right now, everything is comes from our Earth. The microphone in front of you, your ear, but everything comes from this earth. And we haven't even gotten into some of this biofuels and other things that, you know, they say, well, what happens when, uh, when the oil runs out? Don't worry. The universe will produce something else that will cause us to have the fuel because we're always going to be, you know, evolving. We have to until the, you know, the meter comes and knocks us out or whatever happens. But anyway, but the whole, that's the whole thing is we, we push ourselves to the limit without doing, you know, excuse me, but doing stupid stuff. You know, don't, don't take a, want to test the airbag by driving it into a tree. Not the best move. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, so, um, but you know, that's it. So, Wow. Push yourself as far, my advice to all your listeners, you know, push yourself, find out what it is, what your limitations are, and then try to exceed them. That comes, you know, that's the Tony Robbins thing. We can, you know, we can do it. I agree. My agreeing. Um, you know, I want to, I want to be very respectful of your time, Terry. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very appreciative of, of the time that, uh, that you've shared with us thus far on the show today. So uh, I feel like it's a good, Good point to uh, start wrapping things up here. Do have one more question for you. Okay. Um, and uh, I really want to know what question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? Oh, wow. There's, that's a ton of questions that I could run across there. Um, um, how maybe how important is um, um, key performance indicators? Did we talk about that? A little bit, but okay. please go on. We need to have a scorecard in our business. So like I was working with a client earlier today, and so we're trying a new process. And so uh, you have to, like in our world, uh, more meaning yours and ours, we split test things, right? So you try this, you have an AB, we have beta tests, we have all this stuff. So um, collecting these numbers, like um, you try a script, Okay, you, you're going to use a script. Well, if it's not working two out of four out of ten, you know, if it doesn't, if out of ten deliveries and you're getting getting two to four responses out of it, then you probably need to change your script. So these are uh, 
indicators that we need to track. Sometimes like one of my uh, clients, we need to track email, the collection of email addresses. So we know his, the stats, for an example. He needs to collect 20 new email addresses each week. He needs to make 82-way touches uh, to, his, to his client base. He needs to get four C trials every week. He needs to get three offers presented. He needs two of them to be accepted. And he needs to close a boat every, every, month, every week. Well, by us figuring out those numbers, we figured out that's his perfect set. So he get, if he follows that, that routine, then he gets that closed boat. That'll give him 52 boats at, at, the, end of the, at the end of the year. Um, other metrics would be um, maybe uh, somebody doing, you know, sending out email campaigns. And for opt-ins, you would want to track that. Um, building performas is uh, part of your key performance indicators. Most of your audience won't know what a performa is. Uh, a performa is a forecast of your income versus expenses. A P and everybody travels on P&Ls. P&L is profit and loss. Well, P&Ls, remember from this day forward, is past accounting. Think about it this way. Yeah, I'm sure you get a P&L, and you probably get it somewhere around the 10th or the 15th of the month, unless you're somebody in your, your close world is producing it for you. Well, isn't it fun to find out 15 or 20 days later that you lost money last month? Right. No. So you're doing right. So you, but you've been doing it now for three more weeks when you could, if you had a performa is real time. So each week you update your performance. So you, so I project sales each, each month in different categories. Then I see how well the actual numbers are coming in. If I see that well, one of my areas isn't working well, then I put more advertising and more in, energy in that area to get boost that part of the perform up budgeting. I was working with a, a guy and really going over his budget, you know, his uh, perform in the budgeting section and it's in his uh, postage was $4,000. I said, Ross, I said, what in the world did you spend $4,000 on um, postage? He goes, I didn't spend that. And I said, well, it's right here in your performance. So he gets a hold of the bookkeeper and oh, it was an entry mistake. I said, well, is it really an entry mistake or is it that she pocketed $3,000 and you don't know what happened to it? And I'm sure she didn't, but I'm just saying it was funny that that jumped out. But if you've not been paying attention to it, you, you know, that notice. could have been a siphon of, of money off and because it was just it's listed on your P&L. Right. So your performance is updated weekly because you keep your actual numbers. Everything again. Uh, everything that we do has something to do with uh, key performance indicators. So we need to be check our numbers, double check our numbers, triple check our numbers. Make your decisions based on data-driven uh, analysis, not on what your gut says or what you think. I was working with a um, ear, uh, ear, 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 um, what, ear, hearing aids. Mm -hmm. um, so he gets me, he's about two and a half years in business. And he says, I really need you. I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself in a hole. I'm digging myself into a hole. So we started looking at it. And so first of all, we found out that he was selling his hearing aids a hundred dollars too cheap. And he said, that can't be true because I've been making money all these, this last you know, couple of years. I said, no, here's what you've been doing. I said, you've been getting sales and you'd run through that, you borrow a little money off this credit card, you get some more sales and you pay that one off and you were moving money around and you got dipped into the equity of your home. And now you're, you're, you're all there. You've, you've expended, but you were borrowing all the time from these different sources. And what happened is one day 
there was no more source. And I said, it all started because you've been selling your hearing aids $100 too cheaper. Oh, well, people are just not going to pay uh, more, more than $100 more, $100 more. I said, you don't know that. What you know is that's your belief. I said, I, if you want to stay in this business, you need to up your price $100 and you'll start making money and you'll climb your, you can come, come out of the hole. I said, just try it. One hour, less than an hour, he had a sign up with the internet. It was an internet sign. One, less than an hour, he had a sign up for, for $699 when he thought he couldn't get it for $599. Again, push, you know, you got to put, you got to, you got to do what takes to, for you to be in business. Don't worry about what the other guy's doing. When um, uh, uh, the air conditioning world, uh, they had a meeting one time and they said, um, uh, it was round tables, like a brainstorming set of masterminds, as we call them today. And so they're all sitting around the table. And um, so one of the person, I had, didn't happen to be there that night, but the guy said to him, says, well, we can't beat Terry. Terry's the problem. I said, what? And Steve goes, well, what's, what's, what do you think? What do you mean, Terry? Well, you know, he buys at such a volume that he, you know, he gets equipment so much cheaper than we do. And we just can't compete with him. And Steve goes, you think that Terry passes the discount on to his customer and he goes well yeah that's what we would do he says oh no terry keeps that money that has nothing to do the reason terry's beating you is because he gives better customer service than you do people will pay more for good customer service so another little example uh and showing how to go outside your your thinking you know thinking cap here so when somebody comes and work on you ever had anybody work on your air conditioner yes Okay. So, and I'll bet that when they finished, for some reason, you thought it was productive for you to go out and look at it. Actually, I have no idea what I'm looking at and I trust him. I love it. Okay. Well, good. It's been with my but, family well, for, for okay. decades. Well, that's why. But most of the time, the husband comes home. First thing they're going to do is they're going to go in the backyard and they're going to look at the air conditioner. They don't know what they're looking at, but they just want to look at it, run or whatever it was because the fan wasn't turning before. Now it's turning. So, Okay, so what my guys did, they had to wax the unit. They had to put new screws in all the screw holes. Now, it took about 10 minutes to put that extra little shine on and put all the screws back in. Now, technicians, we don't like screws. We take out screws, we leave them on the ground because we only need two to hold the, the thing together. That's the only two we need. That's all we need. All the others were put in there for, from the factory is you know, to be decorative. So my guys were required to put new shiny new screws in, wax the unit. So when you, the homeowner came around there, you went, wow, these guys leave a lasting impression. See, it's good to make a, a first impression. It's really good, okay? But you know what's more important? Leave a lasting impression. I love it. I love it. Well, Terry, again, I want to thank you so, so much for, uh, for coming on the show today and you bet. Uh, for, for sharing this time with me. It's been very special. So uh, thank you very, very much. You bet. You're, you're welcome, Barry. Thank you so much for having me too. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And to everybody who's watching and listening, I want to thank y'all very, very much. And I will see all of you on the next episode. Take care now.